Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. is Tech News Today for Friday, March 25th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by GoToMeeting. Visiting contacts from New York to L.A. and Bangalore to London is time-consuming and expensive. Stay home! Have meetings online instead with GoToMeeting. For your free 30-day trial, visit GoToMeeting.com slash technews. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Jason Owl. And joining us today, uh, by day, he is known as an editor at Lifehacker, but by night... He is the author of The Complete Android Guide, Mr. Kevin Purdy. Hello, everybody. Hey, Kevin. Thanks uh, for joining us on your day off, man. Thank you for having me. Uh, We have a uh, particularly pertinent story to someone as yourself who is the author of A Complete Android Guide. Actually, the Complete Android Guide. Uh, Indeed. Did you you catch the story about uh, Andy Rubin saying we are not going to open source Honeycomb at this time? Yeah, and um, it's it's gathered a lot of um, it's it's drawn a lot of criticism onto uh, Android, which was already kind of uh, not betting a thousand, uh, at least in terms of open source advocates' minds of uh, you know quickly getting uh, Android builds into the open source queue uh, as soon as possible. Uh, this one, though, they I mean they basically admit in a you know in a in an interview with Ohm, I believe, or, or at least he got the story that um, Ohm Malik that they. It was kind of a shortcut they had to take to get the Zoom out as early as possible, uh, the Zoom tablet with Motorola. And, of course, people are saying, well, is it really worth it to kind of backpedal on open source software just to you know, compute with the iPad, too? Well, and there's, yeah, there's also a question of, because you know, you're right, what they said was we, we rushed the, uh, the tablet operating system out, and we don't want hardware vendors to adapt it to run on other form factors where it might not function properly. But right. that implies that we don't believe in the open source model for quality control. We are tending more towards the Apple model of controlling the user experience. I mean, any story about Android uh, always, you know, you get the wrath of the Android community that really believes in openness, and that's what, you know, they use as ammunition against the Apple fanboys. And, you know, I read something like this, and I think, well, okay, as an Android lover who believes in the idea that people can uh, use the open system to create the experience they want, doesn't this prove that, indeed, you will not be able to do that going forward? Somewhat. I mean, it's just how fast you can do it. You can call yourself open source, but if you don't put the code out there until a year after uh, you know, the premier devices from the major manufacturers come out, it's, it's of no use to somebody who might have a really great idea for a, um, a tablet app. You know, that isn't a major player that Google is kind of uh, working with on a non-disclosure basis. Yeah, I, d- I think they show their lack of belief in the total open source model. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, yeah. sort of, they're sort of diminishing their ability to be comfortable with not being in control. They There's want- also some hint- Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. There's also some hints that, they, that maybe Google wasn't so happy with some of the very early tablets, which um, to sum- summarize were all pretty awful. Um, yeah. Not all the, the Samsung Galaxy Tab. I know Jeff Jarvis is a fan for one, but um, a lot of the early tablets from a lot of uh, small manufacturers that were running a phone version of Android were all... I've seen one or two of them. They're 
they're awful. And so I, I think maybe it's a little bit of quality control too. Yeah, especially considering the average person that then ends up going and picking up one of those you know, early tablets that's running on an OS that wasn't intended for being on a tablet. I mean, they judge yeah. Google for that at that point. They say, they Google, Google, your approach to tablets is horrible. Meanwhile, that OS maybe wasn't intended for tablets at that point. Would this also be uh, an attempt by Google to try to get control of the developer community too because i mean if you're a developer you you create an app i mean you maybe maybe create three versions of it i mean you can't be creating like a hundred versions of android and nobody's really going to put the time and effort into that yeah well it's it's part of that you know getting rid of that fragmentation right kevin yeah and also I mean, I hate to say it, but like uh, Ubuntu Linux uh, is the, the desktop uh, Linux system is is going through a similar quandary uh, where they are moving forward and they're moving beyond some kind of very uh, legacy technologies. They're doing their own desktop. They're doing their own um, uh, graphic system. And a lot of people are, are very you know displeased with them for breaking off in the open source community. But to Ubuntu, much like I assume it is for Google and the Android product, it's like we want to deliver a good product that people can use and I guess in some cases that requires some compromises. Yeah, I think this means that Google doesn't really believe in the open source system, whether they want to, oh. whether they want to say that or not. It, it's evidence of that. Because the, the completely democratic open source system, let's say. They yeah. don't believe in the, the right. literally like the great stuff will filter to the top system. Right. They're not – maybe they even believe that, but they're not willing to put up with the bad stuff that rides up alongside with it. And I, I think that's really uh, important that you point out that even Ubuntu is starting to have doubts about that. Uh, I'm a big believer in open source, but you have to be very patient to yeah. be a believer in open source. You have to put up with some things not working sometimes and, and having, you know, incorrect versions of stuff because it's, it's, you know, it's the same principle behind the wisdom of the crowds. You have a lot of people contributing and then you end up with a better product because of that. But you have to put up with a lot of mistakes in the mix as well. It sounds like Google is just like, you know what, we, we don't want to, we don't have to put up with that. We're a big enough company. What if Google were to, instead of saying, we can't give you this code because we need, we're, we're not um, confident that you're going to put out a good product. What if they uh, did release, every, everything was completely open source, but then you had to get some sort of thumbs up approval by Google before it went to market. So that There's at a least, company that already does that. Oh, really? Okay. Well, Apple. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 that, that is that is the that, Apple model, right? Yeah. Right. You can develop all you want, but in order to actually get it out to people, you have to go through us. Well, and, and there's somebody in the chat room, and I wish I could remember who now, uh, brought up Darwin as a parallel to this. Uh, the Darwin operating system version of, uh, of what is it, FreeBSD? Uh, is, is a Unix-like operating system that's the underpinnings of OS X. But mm-hmm. Apple doesn't allow OS X to be open sourced. They just use the products of Darwin to undermine, underpin, not undermine. Uh, they don't want it to undermine OS X, but OS X is not open source. And I, I think that's, that's an, another reason we're seeing Google do this is they're like, yeah, we're fine having some, open, some Linux powering this, uh, but we want to control the top. Although there's people saying today, like, they don't even really allow the Linux kernel uh, to stay open, they make modifications to it as well. So they're even more controlling over it. Well, I guess it, it wasn't really, my point wasn't that it would have to go through Google and, and Google would have to give it the okay in order for it to be released. Just some sort of a rating system, I guess, where Google could kind of go like, this is a little bit too much of a 
I don't know, crazy Wild West version of Android, we just can't vouch for it working properly yeah. if you run it on a tablet. Google certified. Yeah, something yeah. like and that. They, I mean, I, I, you know, if Google wants people to have trust in them, that mm-hmm. might be an interesting model for them. They to- have something of a program like that, too. And those early tablets that um, were junky and, and, and you know slow and everything, they didn't have some of the Google apps uh, built into them, Gmail, uh, Maps, the market especially. Um, and they also, on their phones, they also have... Um, a Google stamp that you'll see on some Android phones and not others. And that just basically says, Google says that, you know, this is like a really great use of our uh, OS and mm-hmm. other phones, not so much. They're saying, well, Samsung says this is a great use of the OS. I guess and now they're saying for honeycomb, attention. nobody can use it unless we stamp it. <laughs> right. Right? right. You know, yeah. it, ha- it has to be Google approved, which means big manufacturers and that's <laughs> it. Uh, and I think they're going to mm. lose something out of that. You're going to lose some of the innovation uh, that, that takes a long time to pay off. Uh, I almost see it as a little bit of impatience uh, on Google's part. But I I still understand why they want to have control. It's just, you know, I don't think we can call Android an open platform in that way anymore. Moving on, Spotify making a little bit of news, both good and bad today. Uh, They hired Steve Savoka, who ran digital at UK indie label Domino Records, or as uh, as paid content put it, Spotify hiring Domino's Savoka, which you know confused me uh, and Kevin for a minute to think that maybe they were hiring someone from the pizza chain. <laughs> Domino Savoka, Domino Records. A lot of people aren't familiar with it, but they, I mean, they have a few somewhat big name indie artists. Pavement, you know, Animal Collective. Yeah. So it's uh, it's not one of the big ones. It's not Universal, uh, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess this uh, they're hiring folks. This is um, they're hiring folks in their New York office, so all signs point to yes, we're still trying to make it happen. But they haven't signed Universal, and they haven't signed Warner Brothers, I believe, which right. is another big guy. So it's like they, I mean, they're halfway there. But this is sort of the same story we've heard already. There's just more evidence that they're ramping up, right? Spotify CEO Daniel X says, uh, now that we have uh, Steve Savoka uh, on board as as an employee. Uh, we would like to have some rock star engineers and product people. Uh, Don't yeah. have a product yet, <laughs> but please come and work for us. Because I mean, there, this indicates that they're confident they'll get one, though. Yeah, and, and uh, go ahead, Kevin. Also, they're in the same position as Netflix right now, uh, which you know I think we'll see later in the show. Maybe that they they're in the same position where they're they're basically asking companies, we have this really good proven. A consumer-friendly way of delivering content to you folks, uh, into folks who want to subscribe. Won't you give us some of it to hand over? And they're just, you know, piecemeal having to to string together a business model, which kind of stinks. Spotify needs to, I mean, they, they got to get their butts in gear because they have competition from uh, RDO is is one of the examples that I'm always... Um, Here in the U.S., we use RDO because there is no Spotify And yet. it's growing in popularity and it doesn't really have a legitimate competitor yet. Google Music sounds to be something that, no, it's not to market right now, but they're working on it. I mean, Spotify... If if they don't beat Google, I don't I don't really know how much I'm going to care anymore. Users of the ad supported version of Spotify in Europe were hit by a malware based attack on Thursday. Though uh, Spotify pulled its ad feed on Friday, so you know that that's just bad timing. Uh, these things happen, but uh, you if you're if you're taking that business model of having ad supported free every once in a while, you're going to be a victim of this sort of thing. It's it's not that big of a deal. Um, but, uh, you know, at this point, if I, if I were to be flip about it, I'd say, well, I'm glad I don't have Spotify. They're full of malware. Well, you can. Yeah. There is no way you could have had Spotify. Is that fair, though, Kevin? Um, yeah. 
<laughs> kind of is. Uh, I, no, I, I mean, that everyone gets little malware attacks, even Apple occasionally now and then. And, you know, it's, it's all about how you respond to it. And the reason Spotify they, keeps getting so much press, even though it's this sort of, it's this vapor service that we in the U.S. keep waiting for and never getting. I mean, it's very popular overseas. People are very happy with Spotify. People love it. Um, it's a service that, that means a lot to a lot of people. People love streaming music. So all, you know, every time they hire somebody that's a sort of big name in the music industry who has a lot of connections, you think, okay, well, there's just one more reason that this is not, this is not going to fall apart. They're going to figure something out. I also think they had a few, uh, they had some Americans who had gotten free accounts to kind of test out the market and get people excited. And I believe those folks have now gotten notices that they'll have to start paying for the service. Even though they're secret and they can't say where they got them. Yes, we all have secret coworkers. That's right. Mm-hmm. 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 I am not mm-hmm. one of those people. Are you, Kevin? Uh, I have one or two secret Spotify users who are very cloak and dagger about how they got it, You know whether they have to pay for it or not. But you didn't get one either. No, no, no. Okay. I would be burning up my router if I did. So I think uh, the four of us can agree we hate Spotify right now. Absolutely. Until they give us a free To the account. moon, Spotify. Yeah. Well, three of us, <laughs> anyway. Really? Who's the, why not, who's the, who's left out? Oh, oh. No, Kevin doesn't have one. Oh. So he's, oh, he's, he's in. So, okay. Oh, so just me. three of us then. Hmm. Oh, oh. <laughs> <clears throat> I believe we can all agree we <clears throat> hate someone in this room right now. No, what's, Microsoft what's up with Microsoft? <laughs> spends $7.5 million at a garage sale on some used IPv4 addresses. Uh, it was actually a going out of business sale for uh, for Nortel. Uh, Nortel is being liquidated. And so the 666 to 624 IP version 4 address block was put up for auction as part of the uh, sell-off of Nortel's a- assets. Microsoft won the bid, $7.5 million. That's $11.25 per address. Are we starting a, a used IPv4 market it Sounds here? like we are. I mean, $11 is... I don't know. It's more than I pay per year for SaraLane.com. Yeah, I, well, it, it's more. I mean, it's per it's IP address, not yeah. exactly translatable, but no. yeah, it's more than you pay for a dot com. It's true. Am I being naive? I, I mean, is six hundred sixty-six thousand six hundred twenty-four net addresses more than I feel like they are? Am I just so used to things being quoted in millions now that this doesn't seem like that big of a number? Why does Microsoft want this number so badly? I mean, it's a lot of money. Yeah, well, I, you know, that's a good question. Why, why do they want it? Uh, it I, I suppose that they're hedging their bets and helping them delay having to transition to IPv6. Yeah. It just seems to, well, I don't know. How long until those 600 and some odd thousand, uh, they go away and then Microsoft just has to buy more? I guess you could do that for a while. There, there are plenty of IPv4 addresses kicking around. Kevin, do you have any idea why Microsoft want this block? Uh, like you said, I think it's just uh, hedging your bets until IPv6 comes along. Although I like this I, as a as a new revenue model for people who have all these like tiny blogs. You know, maybe maybe Google and my can come by my you know kittenmittens.com IPv4 if I own it. You know, just that's right. If lots of little bloggers getting money from big companies. Steve Gibson from Security Now was saying he's got a uh, an extra block of IPv4 addresses he's been sitting on. <laughs> like you I, said, it's like the TJ Maxx of IPv4. Yeah, it's a gold you just mine. Pick them up. Scratch and dent. 
<laughs> used, barely used IPv4 addresses. Only been pinged once. <laughs> All right, uh, let's take a break and uh, thank our sponsor, GoToMeeting. Uh, if I were on a conference call with Kevin Purdy, it would not be boring. It would be fun. But with most people on a conference call, it's not only boring but also unproductive because you're on a call. You can't see each other. Uh, if you want to be productive... Try GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting keeps everyone on the same page. Everyone on the call can see your screen. You can go through your presentation. You don't have to explain, well, what we're looking at, Bob. It's all right there. It means you'll save time and be more productive. It's great for sales presentations, product demos, training sessions, collaborating, weekly update calls. Any type of conference call should be replaced with GoToMeeting, and you don't have to believe us. You can go to GoToMeeting.com slash tech news, have all the meetings you want for one low flat rate, uh, phone and voice over IP conferencing included, and you can try it for 30 days for free. You don't have to pay them at all. Just go to go to meeting.com slash tech news and sign up right now for the free 30-day trial. Uh, if you're doing conference calls, you need to give this a shot because it can make you more productive. Let's move on to a Google patent uh, that has been filed that BNet uh, pointed out some interesting things about. Now, this is a patent for, uh, it's called Distributed Electronic Commerce System with centralized point of purchase. But it's essentially like making payments. The thing is, the way they wrote the patent, it could be used online or it could be used in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, a third-party broker, that, that that's like your PayPal, your Visa, or maybe in this case Google Checkout, receives a description of a shopping cart from a remote customer device. Yes. So Visa gets the list of everything you bought. The cart identifies the items for purchase by the customer from the remote merchant calculates the total due, and then charges the customer. Right. Now, this all sounds like, well, how can they patent this? This is the same as, as what I do with VSEP. But what's different is when you go and you buy something at the grocery store, they ring you up, they take your Visa card, they sw- swipe it through, and yep. the total amount gets sent to Visa, and that's it. But that's Visa all they have. Visa doesn't know what I bought or that I like grapefruits right. and that I like wine. What this is doing is saying... We're going to ring you up, and then we're going to take that receipt, and we're going to hand it to Visa. And Visa says, oh, not only do I get the total amount, but I get a little bit of information about everything you bought. And now I can start collecting that and collating it. So Google would not act as the broker. Visa would still act as the broker, but Google would be providing them more information than everyone else does? Well, Visa could be the broker, or Google Checkout could be the Uh broker. So Google could be operating, you know, two sides of this equation. But essentially what they're saying is this could work online, could work in an Android marketplace, or it could work at your gas station uh, when you go in with your Nexus S and pay with the uh, NFC chip. If there's anything credit card companies need, it's more information about us <laughs> right. and more things they can sell about us. Really, it, it solves a problem that we've all had, which is how can I help American Express? Yeah. <laughs> I've been wondering myself that same question. Uh, you know, they they do a nice job. The credit card companies do a nice job of, of randomly changing the number of my credit card without telling me, you know, of right. cut, cutting off my account because my wife was in New York and I was in California and it looked like fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do need to help them out in in other ways they could use to make my life harder. I, I mean, it, it, again, it, this is an obvious question, but and maybe I'm missing something, but isn't this a privacy problem? I mean, if I'm going to Shell and filling up my gas and buying 10 Snickers bars, and for some reason I'm marketed to because of that, I mean, isn't that unacceptable? Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, one, <laughs> the one way it would 
the only I guess advocate advocation I could do for it is that like if it would help you make returns, mm. um, if because then you don't need a receipt because every time you've made a transaction that is a receipt. You've you know? got your so proof you could, already. Yeah. Right. Like so, you could just you know bring your phone to Target and say, oh, you know this dish rack or whatever, I I, I want to return it and here, here's when I bought it. Or some sort of neat. like universal uh, discount system. A lot of lot of a lot of retailers have a thing where they track all of your all the things you buy yeah. and then they give you a discount every so often based on how much you've purchased. If Google Checkout did that for all your purchases. So it's a loyalty program for Google Checkout, but it doesn't matter where you spend your money. But I mean, credit card companies already do things like that. Yeah. They're just not doing it by type of item. They're doing it on number value. You know, you spend $100 and you get some free airline miles. Right, but this way, you know, it's like buy 10 rolls of toilet paper, get the 11. <laughs> hey, buy your 11th em. toilet paper. We're going to give that one to you free. I mean, how cool would that be? So cool. <laughs> oh, my so gosh. Cool. I just saved 79 cents. <laughs> I don't know. This is interesting, though. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, they're, they're yeah. shaking up the marketplace. And it is just a patent. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what they actually do with it. It's uh, a really competitive space. We that t- whole mobile payments, Mark, you know, that, as I was telling Tom earlier, it's, it's South by Southwest. Like, there are tons of free tacos and free everything if you use your credit card somewhere uh, and hand it to a guy with an iPhone. Yeah, figuring out the, the well, the payment system itself has a whole conference down in Orlando every year and and, and people trying all these crazy things where they're, they're creating these little credit cards, like mini credit cards with limited value on them that people can use and then go online. And, and the idea of like lifting all of that out of physical space and putting it on a phone in and powered in the cloud is that that's like the gold mine uh, for that industry. Absolutely. Mozilla says it made a mistake in not disclosing the Komodo attack earlier. We talked about this yesterday on Tech News Today. Uh, the attack involved uh, the certificate authority Komodo having certificates hacked away from them. There were eight certificates of domain names like login.yahoo.com, mail.google.com. One of those was used, login.yahoo.com was used uh, and tested on an Iranian IP address now, uh, after some criticism from many people, including Jacob Applebaum, who discovered uh, this flaw and sort of forced Komodo to reveal it, uh, Mozilla says they did not publish the information prior to shipping the patch to the browser because they were afraid uh, that any indication that they knew about the attack would lead to attackers blocking the security updates as well. And they recognized that the obvious mitigation advice we might offer risk causing a significant portion of the legitimate web to break those would be things like changing firefox security preferences uh to require a valid online certificate status protocol uh on the, the here's the interesting thing everyone used these uses the certificate revocation list the crl mechanism to check if a if a certificate is valid or not however if the crl doesn't respond the default behavior is to assume that it is valid so all you have to do is block the CRL. <laughs> no news is good news. Yeah, you're fine. So if you want to, for, if you've got, if you're one of these people who hacked in and got a got a real certificate, but you were afraid that it was going to be listed on the certificate revocation list, you could just block the certificate revocation list. The CRL's blocked. Then the browser goes, well, I guess this certificate's fine. Uh, so there is also the online certificate status protocol, but not everybody checks that. So anyway, it's it's a whole complicated. Uh, part of the way certificate issuance works. And this hack has really shined a spotlight on it and shown some areas where it needs to be improved. Uh, Anyway, uh, Mozilla is saying, 
Neither we nor Komodo have found any evidence of access to their online certificate status protocol responder being blocked either in Iran or anywhere else. In hindsight, while it was made in good faith, we made the wrong decision. We should have informed web users more quickly about the threat and the potential mitigations as well as their side effects. Well, they won't do this again. I mean, I think that I think they're behaving now as appropriately as they can. They feel that they should have alerted folks earlier. They didn't. Um, they have more information now, and they've apologized. Uh, you know, it's Mozilla has apologized. None right. of the other browsers have, have bothered to say anything about it. Well, I'm not sure we're going to hear from any of them anyway. But Microsoft well, says, "Let's not talk Mozilla, about security then. certificates. Let's just not bring it up. <laughs> Let's just move on." And Microsoft says, "Hey, wouldn't you rather talk about that new Asus EPad transformer?" Except that it's an Android tablet, so they're probably not that excited about it. Uh, but we actually we saw this at CES. It was on, on display at Mobile World Congress. I think it was on display at CBIT as well. Uh, but they, Asus has finally introduced the EPad Transformer. It launches in Taiwan uh, first. It's a convertible Android tablet that runs Android 3.0, runs Honeycomb. And it is unique in that you can buy an optional full keyboard dock that the 10.1-inch tablet can then sit in. Uh, providing a laptop-like experience. Now, obviously, you can get keyboards for some tablets, like the iPad, Mm -hmm. but this is a dock where the tablet comes in and it looks like you're using a netbook. Yeah, I mean, this was a standout at CES because it truly is a transformer. I mean, it's a a tablet and a It truly is more than meets the eye. (laughs) It's an Autobot. Could they have, it's a good guy. Could they have picked more of a Windows-like desktop for this laptop to have in the background? The green field with the white with the uh, blue sky. Oh yeah, I know. Could they have cleaned <laughs> off kind of the the screen? That would have been nice. I mean, this is I I, I like it. I mean, for somebody who who, uh, who who's going to use the the convenience of a tablet uh, on a regular basis, but still travels a lot or types a lot or for whatever reason needs a keyboard and needs it to feel sturdy. This is a neat option. Yeah, well, I mean, I was it I was really taken. From all the tablets. I was taken by the Lenovo U1 two years ago at CES because it was the same idea. You had a tablet screen, you pulled it out of the dock, and, and it worked as a as a laptop. We're still waiting on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it looks like Asus has beaten them to the punch. Using Android with a with a laptop keyboard would be interesting because I, I really like Gmail in the tab the Android 3.0 uh, interface, but. Um, I, I like. I don't know what kind of word processing app you would use if you were on Android. I guess Google Docs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could see that. You use Google Docs. But what if you're on an airplane? I mean, one of one of the, the uses I see of that is like, well, maybe I wouldn't take my laptop if I had a tablet that I could put in a keyboard. And when I'm on the airplane, well, not every airplane has Wi-Fi, but I still may have some stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a way, Kevin, to do offline Google Docs on an Android tablet? Um. Hmm. Not docs. I mean, there are there are clients that let you do like say Simple Note, um, which sure, is an okay. online yeah. you know, text syncing thing. And then you could also I, I've gone through my email on the plane before, and then you just do it in airplane mode, turn the phone on, and it sends it all when you land. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I not. I, I can't think of like a full fledged um, you know doc editing suite. There are a few actually though, like uh, Quick Office and, and Docs to Go um, that, that I haven't really messed around with, especially with a laptop keyboard. So. It, interesting. I wish I could have a tester now, pretty much. Yeah, it, well, it creates, a, uh, creates more of a need for that stuff. Uh, Netbook News reports that the 16-gigabyte slate will cost 14900 
NT. That's uh, Thai, Taiwanese currency. Uh, so that, that, equivalent, that equivalent is about $500 U.S. Uh, with an extra $3,000 for the keyboard dock. That's an extra $100 U.S. for the keyboard dock. Uh, they've heard that the slate price will be priced around $400 in the United States, though. So, Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be coming to Europe first. They're not. They're not. They're going to launch it in Taiwan. It's coming to Europe. I can't remember the date now, and I can't see it anymore. But they they were going to send it to Europe within a couple months, and then the U.S. gets it later. Why do we always get never, everything last? Arrive. Yeah. We're always last. Uh, we we never get anything in the U.S. No. first, do we? iPad. Mm. All right. Uh, finally, I know we're probably sick to death of nuclear uh, stories uh, from Japan, but we we haven't talked about one in several days on Tech News today, anyway. And I thought uh, that. Lewis Page over at the Register had a pretty good story debunking some of the crazy headlines you may be seeing about what's happening at, happening at Fukushima. Uh, it turns out that things are actually going very well there. Uh, I, I should I want to point out that Eric Jones. We haven't been reading his emails, but he's been sending us regular emails, sort of backing up what we've been saying about Japan. He is in Japan. He works for the the military. He's on a U.S. Air Force base there. Uh, his latest email, for instance, says, Hi, all things are pretty much down to serious brow furrowing and acute anxiousness rather than hair on end panic. Uh, the realization of many other things will begin to take precedence as people shift focus. So he's talking about how folks on the ground in Japan are starting to move away from worrying that tragedy is going to happen and more of how to how to deal with the aftermath uh and and the lewis page article on the register uh points out that you may have seen these headlines about the three workers who were standing in radioactive water and how they were hospitalized uh it's being blown out of proportion what happened is they received a 170 millisievert dose of radiation they got burns on their legs equivalent to sunburn and so because of that they were sent to a clinic uh, the maximum dose permitted before a worker is pulled is 250. So they even, didn't even get the maximum dose. But the minimum dose to have that could possibly cause the barest chance of cancer is 100. So as soon as you see somebody got over 100, you send them to the hospital. You have them checked out. Uh, they're being careful. It's preventative. And that's what's happening with a lot of these stories is the guys on the ground are doing the right thing. They're being extra, extra careful. Right. But then the news agencies take that and turn it into it's the worst case scenario. Worker rushed to hospital with yeah. third degree burns. Uh, the level in the water could be an indication of a reactor containment breach. Uh, a breach is possible, but a, a containment breach has been possible for over a week. Uh, so this is not proof that that happened, as some people have reported. Uh, this is just an indication that there's a small chance that there is a containment breach, and that's a serious thing. I, I, I don't want to minimize it. Uh, but the again, the, the radiation in the water isn't any real additional information to that. Uh, also, there was the water in Tokyo. They put a ban on babies drinking water in mm-hmm. Tokyo that has since been lifted. That ban has been lifted. Uh, that was because levels of radioactive iodine-131 were found in the city's water, which were above the safety limit for baby milk calculated on the basis of a year's consumption. In other words, if babies had drank the water in Tokyo for a year cons- constantly, they would have a m- tiny extra risk of thi- thyroid cancer. And again, uh, Lewis Page even thinks that this was irresponsible. I don't. I think it was the right thing to do to say, you know what? Don't let your babies drink the water for for a couple weeks. Let's be extra safe about that. Uh, But it is a minuscule risk that they're trying to prevent. 
Iodine-131 has a half-life of eight days, which means in a matter of weeks, it decays and it's gone from the water. So yeah, That said, though, Tom, if you, ha- if you lived in Tokyo and you had a little kid... I mean, you want to know no, no. about this. Yeah, even absolutely. If it, even if it's minuscule, even if it's slightly half minuscule. I agree with you there. And that's where I, I differ a little from what, what Lewis Page wrote. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that no one in Tokyo should drink the water. Right. You, you, you can handle more radiation than babies. And we're talking about very small amounts of radiation and very small amounts of risk. What, what happens when you boil water for five minutes? I mean, is this all still applicable? I, I don't know if boiling because, gets rid of any radiation. No? No. It's, it, it will survive that? Boiling, boiling kills bacteria. Bacteria. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't, I don't drink the water in San Francisco either, but if I have to, I'll just boil it for a few minutes. And but then there's a that's there's a, a different issue. A new scientist story by Deborah McKenzie out, which I, I feel like the Deborah McKenzie story itself is w- well written, talking about the the comparison of the Fukushima reactor fallout with the Chernobyl fallout. But then a lot of people are saying the Fukushima fallout is 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 near to the same as Chernobyl, and and in fact, uh, Fukushima could be approximately twenty percent of the emissions of iodine one thirty one from Chernobyl, uh, and twenty to sixty percent of radiocesium, and cesium is actually never been proved to be harmful that doesn't mean it's safe but it's ever been proved to be harmful iodine-131 can cause thyroid cancer but at 20 percent again these emissions are very low and what caused the illnesses in chernobyl were a lot of other things in the particulate matter from the explosion as well as uh giving babies milk which had high concentrations of iodine in the milk so it's it's all about knowing what again what the real risks are because i'm not trying to say there aren't risks but people like to go from zero to 150 you know on on these sorts of things it's hard to write a story that says protocols followed health risks averted <laughs> that's I mean, right no don't totally. nobody's gonna it's hard to put that in the paper believe me i, I being having been a uh, a professional headline writer at one point in my career i you know i i know it's like well, can't we just make the headline sound sexier and then once you then your story can be responsible. Then rezoning permits will sound awesome. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, let's move on to the news fuse. Ah, uh, yes, Mashable reports that color the uh, the new crazy photo app that takes pictures and shares them with whoever happens to be around you. Forty one million. Right, got forty one million dollars. Color has a fix for the problem with the photo app being useless when nobody else is around. What's the fix? They're gonna break it. So you just can't use yeah. the app. If Color you're alone? will feature two major changes when the next update ships. Uh, you won't be able to use the app if nobody's nearby. Then you won't be able to tell it doesn't. Wait, work. They also toyed around the idea of calling your old college roommates and inviting them over, but they decided <laughs> just rather they'd you know that's, rather that's just phase three. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. So you click on the app and it just it'll say no, nobody's around. We're not going to we're not going to work right now. <laughs> Bye. Uh, second, and I think this one's uh, a better fix. Color will be changing the distance required for somebody to be considered nearby. Uh, right now, that distance is set at 150 feet. <laughs> In the future, the number will adjust based on population density. So it will kind of expand until there's enough people to make the app useful. I see. So if you're at the World Series, it's probably everybody in the ballpark. Kind yeah, of right. It, it, than, it'll limit itself. Rather than your yeah. little section. Right. Or, or if you're 
if you're in San Rafael like me and I open it, I'm like there's nobody else around here using color. Because you're the it, only tech guy in San Rafael. Well, it would expand from 150 feet, which is like me yeah. in my room alone, <laughs> to like the entire city and perhaps I might find a couple other people. Yeah. I actually, all my experience with color at my own house is like the guy who lives below me, the floor, <laughs> and then the woman who lives across the street. And it's very awkward. Yeah. Because I've seen them in the hallway, but I didn't necessarily want to play color with VCs, VCs are going to start asking entrepreneurs if their business models are based entirely on San Francisco's Mission, mission District and Brooklyn? And if so, can we please make sure it works elsewhere? Yes. I mean, that's the fallout, really. Absolutely. That's a good rule. All right, moving on to hybrid users like Tom, who think they're so smart. Oh, they're so much better than the rest of us with the gas mileage and the gas tax evasion. Well, you know what? You can't evade the gas tax anymore, Tom. The Congressional Budget Office released a report stating that they may tax people based on how many miles they drive in order to pay for highway maintenance. Wait, hey, wait, wait. How are they going to tell how many miles I drove? The proposed tax would be enforced through the use of electronic metering devices installed on all vehicles. (laughs) People won't resist that. No, everybody will love the government putting a meter in their car. Yeah. No, yeah. You're, you're driving, hybrid user. You're I driving like no the rest of us. Problem with and there's that. a pothole that needs to be fixed. Won't fill itself. Who's paying for that? <laughs> Selfish. Nice. Uh, Stars plans to delay the availability of new TV shows and movies to Netflix beginning April 1st. Uh, new episodes of original shows, like the forthcoming Camelot, will be delayed 90 days before being available on Netflix. A uh, handful of other internet services that licenses content will also uh, you know, be delayed. Stars adds that exclusive first-run movies on the channel will later follow suit. So we're going to be all waiting about six years to see Iron Man 5 now, I yeah. guess. You know what? What I think might happen, which they're not counting on, is that people just stop and be like, fine, I'll wait. Right. Paying for Netflix. Like, I'm just going to wait. I can feel bad about myself and watch Food Inc. now or yeah. watch it later. Samsung has started making a higher capacity mobile RAM that will lead to smaller phones and better battery life. The 30 nanometer 4 gigabit LPDDR2 chips reduce package thickness by 20% down to 0.8 millimeters and power consumption by 25%. Oh, and that does mean higher capacity RAM. Uh, Samsung is putting out one gigabyte modules this month with a two gigabyte version to follow next month. Two gigabytes in your thin, better battery life smartphone. No word on when they'll show up in actual phones, though. We could be facing a PS3 shortage <gasps> soon. No. Sony's blue laser diode manufacturing subsidiary in Fukushima, Japan, Sony Shiraishi Semiconductor, has been suspended due to the earthquake. Digitimes believes that this could seriously disrupt the supply of Blu-ray devices, especially Sony's PlayStation 3. Sony's blue laser diode production mostly caters to the company's own brand devices. Bummer. Uh, maker of BlackBerry RIM said profits this quarter will be much weaker than expected, and they blame the cost on developing the BlackBerry Playbook, as well as a migration of consumers toward cheaper handsets in its product range. But definitely not the iPhone. Uh, shares in Research in Motion fell 12% in after-hours trading. I bought a Playbook. I've done my part to help RIM. You have. <laughs> I actually like that. I really do like the Playbook. I don't know why a you're apologizing. Of... You're totally into I know. it. Why am Stop I saying sorry. I'm sorry. A lot I, like of... the I, I liked it. A lot of tech folks love the playbook. We just haven't seen it. <laughs> I've had I've played with it twice now. You pre-ordered well, it, and I pre-ordered it. So you've done all you've done all you can. I've done everything Literally. I can. Real, you fall apart. It's your own fault. <laughs> the International Trade Commission today ruled that Apple did not violate any of Nokia's patents. 
Uh, Nokia claimed that Apple's iPhone and iPad uh, infringe five of its patents related to enhanced speech and data transmission, the use of positioning data in applications and innovations in antenna configurations. No word on Apple's counterclaim that Nokia violated 13 Apple patents. The other shoe waiting to drop. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's finish up with Aircell making the world's first airborne smartphone. Is that when you just throw your phone and you're like, look at it go? No, 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 no. <laughs> this is a smartphone you can use on an airplane. Oh, that yeah. is very intriguing. Yeah, you just have to have your own airplane. Oh. <laughs> So you have and, to be like President Obama. And then your airplane or, has to have the air cell access communication system uh, that the, is also currently in production. The CEO of Color. As well as the forthcoming GoGo Biz voice service. And oh. then, then you can buy the air cell phone and use it on your own plane. Cool. I'm just glad that it's as complicated for billionaires as it is for us. <laughs> yeah. Except they hire people like us right. to figure this out for them. Like, Merritt, make sure my air cell works. Yeah. As long as we don't have to fly the plane. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. Sorry. And if it doesn't work, you're fired. All right. Let's move on to some calendar. The Nintendo 3DS is available in Europe today and North America on Sunday. That's March 27th. And on Australia, March 31st. Again, Europe gets everything first, but in this case, we're not last. Australia is. The Apple iPad 2 has launched internationally today in 25 countries. A lot of lines, a lot of ridiculous lines. In fact, this is a line from, was it New Zealand? Yeah, thanks to uh, Nick for sending along. This is the huge line out there in The uh, rain didn't keep these New people Zealand. away. No, sir. Yep, the launch. It's like how I felt in Austin. This feels like Groundhog's Day right here. It does. See, we get long lines first in the U.S. Right. That's the only thing we get first. It's like being last. Uh, Yojin's, I think that's the name of it. Yojin's second gen uh, iPad Peel, I'm sorry, Apple Peel 520 arriving on March 28th and ready to cellularize your iPod Touch. So if you have an iPod Touch and you want to make it a phone... Yojin wants to help you. The Nook Color Android App Store is coming in April along with Flash support. The Xperia X10 is going to get Android 2.3 this summer. And the Xperia Play has been delayed by O2 UK due to software bugs. But if it's not an O2 specific problem and O2 apparently hasn't customized Android 2.3 on the Play, we're not really sure why carriers are not also having similar delays. It's a little unclear right now, but it's happening. Uh, maybe it's because they're afraid of, uh, of of Geohots coming and buying it in their country. Oh. He's in spring break. <laughs> yeah, but he said he'd be back in time for the Xperia Play. Oh. Because he can't get it in Brazil. Got it. That's probably why. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's, that's there's your that, answer. That's the answer right there. <laughs> All right, let's finish up with an email to TNT at twit.tv. Uh, this email came from Matt, who is a state trooper, uh, responding to our discussions of the app that allows you to tell where DUI checkpoints are. Do you, do you have a position statement on this, Kevin, on the, uh, <laughs> on the app? Um, no, I, I enjoy, No. Because you know, don't drive drunk. That's you just don't drive drunk. Well, period. don't drive drunk, yeah. but you know, the the checkpoint could be used by per- perfectly sober people who just don't want to get slowed down by having. Yeah, to do go you have a right. problem with that not being available to people who aren't breaking the law or de- and putting anyone else in danger? 
Only if it's not fragmented on Android. So like Android 1.5 users are constantly being pulled over, whereas Android 2.3 users, no. I, I, I think it's fine. Every, you know, public information is public information. Well, if, if, you, if people hadn't heard, senators had written to Apple asking Apple to take the app out of the store. Apple as yet, as far as I know, has not responded. RIM has taken it out of the BlackBerry store, uh, and Google has not said anything about it. The corporate executives are the most likely to drive drunk. Is that true? No, I'd like to believe that's true. But they all have blackberries, so that was a pretty weak joke. Right, exactly. (laughs) They obviously are drunk because they're they're flying with their air cell phones, too. Uh, So frustrated. Anyway, back to Matt's email. He says, my agency holds numerous checkpoints per year. They are very effective. We get a lot of drunk drivers off the highways because of these checkpoints. Uh, What we run into more than apps being used is Facebook. A lot of people, especially the younger crowd, post our checkpoint locations on Facebook. We have had people we know pull up and tell us, hey, you're on Facebook. (laughs) I think uh, more people use the social networks more than any app. Either way, we arrest a lot of drunk drivers, even with people posting on Facebook and Twitter. I'm sure there are some people who have avoided our checkpoints, but I haven't seen any downturn in drunk driver arrests. And he's assigned to a three-county area along with eight other troopers. Uh, He says, I don't think the government should tell a company what they can and can't offer to its customers as long as it's within the law. The checkpoint apps aren't any different than the speed trap apps or people posting the location of the checkpoints in other areas. The government won't stop people from telling others they just changed how they dispense the information. With or without apps, people are going to tell their friends. They can call, text, Twitter, or Facebook each other, and there really isn't anything that can be done about it. We don't worry about people telling each other where we are located. We try to do the best we can and protect the public from the drunk drivers. Besides, just because we are in one location doesn't mean there aren't more of us somewhere else. We may have three on a checkpoint, two on another checkpoint, and one patrolling. You just never know. It would be best if people would just get a designated driver or take a taxi. Absolutely. I mean, he Bingo. raises a very good point that we we were talking about while we uh, covered the story earlier in the week is like, well, if you're going to pull an app that gives information, then am I breaking the law by tweeting out that there's a checkpoint five blocks away, you know, that I've just passed through and there was a lot of traffic and it's yeah. going to impact your commute home? Well, no. I mean, it, that's sort of impossible uh, for them. I don't know. I mean, the implications uh, is a lot bigger than just pulling And the out. users of color can now not take a picture of the checkpoint and send it to their friends because if, if their friends aren't nearby, they'll never find out. I like how users of color... Yeah, very different <laughs> oh, meaning though. How no, it might have no, meant no, to no, me no, had no. you said it a week ago. No, I'm just saying. Oh, I right. know what you mean. I just it just sound could sound different to somebody who didn't know what we were talking about. All oh, right, boy. <laughs> I know. Two for one. It's a good domain. I gotta say. Yeah, so Color.com. Yeah, exactly. If you've got that domain, what are you gonna do with it? You're gonna make an app. Well, they paid three hundred fifty thousand dollars for it. So. Pay, well, they got forty. What, 42 billion? 42 41 million, million, Tom. Yeah. Let's not get crazy. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, oh, you know, we reported yesterday on TNT that Google said they would not pull the app from the Android store. So I'd forgotten about that. Thanks to the chat room. Rim bows, Google stays. And Apple doesn't respond. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Purdy, uh, thank you so much for being on the show again. It was great to have you. I hope you enjoyed Liquid Friday. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, Kevin is the author of The Complete Android Guide as well as an editor at lifehacker.com. Anything else uh, to, to let people know about? Um, no, that's it for now. All right, so so find him. Oh, oh yes, go ahead. Oh, wait, sorry. We do. Uh, we are just about to launch with a uh, Android 3.0 Honeycomb and uh, 2.3 Gingerbread version. Uh, new ebook, new paper print book coming very soon. Of The Complete Android Guide? 
of the complete Android guide. Excellent. Thanks. Just in the last stages right now. So All right. Uh, next week, we welcome a new era at Tech News Today. I, as Akhtar, mm-hmm. will start uh, with Yay! us. We're looking forward to, to having him along on the show as well. So tune in and hear the first official I, as shows when he's not a guest. Yay! That's it for this edition of TNT. We will see you Monday. Find us twit.tv slash TNT. Email us TNT at twit.tv or give us a call. You never call and let us know how you are. But keep it under 30 seconds. 260 TNT Show. See you Monday. See you Monday.